is supported by the Judith Nielsen Institute for Journalism and Ideas and the Community Broadcasting Foundation, cbf.org.au. And welcome, everybody, to Small Biz Matters with Alexi Boyd, whether you're listening live on Triple H 100.1 FM or via podcast. Here's the show where you learn from experts, be inspired by journeys and discover more about making your small business a success. I'm Alexi Boyd, broadcaster, advocate and small business owner. JobKeeper, 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 JobKeeper. JK, stimulus, handout. No matter how you describe it, it's been a great illustration that we are actually living in the lucky country. Where else in the world has government been able to piece with one piece of legislation, simultaneously prop up the economy, maintain employee-employer relationships, build biz, keep businesses alive and flush cash back into the broader economy? But is it all good news? Is it fair? Is it equitable? And what about those businesses we know are just being plain dodgy? And another question, was COVID a missed opportunity where businesses who were on the way out should have actually folded? Joining us this week is financial frontline worker Nicole Lynch from Streamline Management, who is now, like many other Bass agents, a JobKeeper ninja. She, in just a few months, these financial experts have navigated the JobKeeper legislation, often compared to, in its complexity to the GST, which took months to roll out, and guided their small business clients through this minefield with finesse, expertise, and just a little bit of hand-holding. Welcome to the program, Nicole. Thank you. It's great to be here. Oh, it's great to have you. We have been business colleagues for so many years now and it's lovely to have you. I'm sorry to um, dump you in it because I'm asking you potentially one of the most complex questions that we have been faced with as uh, financial advisors, which bookkeepers and bass agents indeed are. We work with businesses on a real day-to-day level. What's been your experience with, with JobKeeper in general with your clientele? Is it is it helpful? Has it kept them open? Should they have shut? <laughs> Um, D, all of the above. <laughs> Maybe one or two probably should have taken the opportunity to shut, but they decided to plough on through. Um, some of them felt that they should be entitled to it, even though they didn't meet the tests and they maybe wanted to pull a swifty to get in. Mm. Um, and others really were deserving and were entitled to it. Exactly. And, and needed it to kind of remain or just to stay alive because we're in the most um, unusual of conditions. So let's talk through, just in case anybody's listening who is going, what's JobKeeper <laughs> and runs a business in this country? Unlikely, but it's uh, what's, the, what's been the purpose of it from the beginning? The purpose, well, I'm imagining, this is just a personal opinion, is to keep people off the unemployment lists, to mm. keep the st- statistics more palatable. Mm. Um, and it makes small business owners... I guess, Centrelink workers in that they're doling out all of the, the money that the government would have had to do otherwise. So the small businesses are in charge of all of the paperwork and there's a lot. There is indeed. It's, it's, unlike, it's not unlike BASSES or, or you know, um, self-assessments with TPARs and all those sort of things. Is it really another administrative burden to small businesses to have to register and get the paperwork and is that is that your opinion? Absolutely there's a mm. lot of work involved and a lot of risks for small business if they uh, enroll and they're not entitled do they have to pay that back can they claw it back from the staff it, it's quite risky for small business that don't know what they're doing and no one really knows because it's been rushed out so fast it was really hard to get your head around it there wasn't time to stop and think really how it was going to work. And in terms of the broader economy do you believe that it's been successful to keep money pumping back into the economy and keep people connected with jobs? Um, yes and, well, I guess yes. People have been spending. Um, 
the statistics I think are showing that alcohol sales are up, gambling is up. Excellent. So maybe it's not great where it's being spent, but mm. it is rushing out of people's pockets. Um, yeah. So I guess so. Yeah, I mean, it's good because when we think of those things, we, we don't necessarily think of them as positive, but in many cases they are small businesses <laughs> and uh, and those types of businesses need to be kept up, uh, propped up as well. Plus, people need to eat. I mean, God, look at the look at the rest of the, the nations in the world who don't have these sort of stimuluses and, uh, and ways of keeping people connected with their jobs and they're just all losing jobs and they're all in the unemployment lines. On the flip side, though, some small businesses might have seen it as an opportunity to rehash their staffing levels Mm -hmm. Um, you know maybe some people weren't really fit for the role and this could have been an opportunity to gracefully let them go I mean horrible for the worker but there are other safety nets available at the moment Mm -hmm. so if you do have to let someone go maybe it's a a good time to at least think about it Mm -hmm. Um, but people have been keeping those people on because they're entitled to JobKeeper for them and so they've been sort of artificially keeping not great workers, I think, as well. There's a little bit of that. Mm. So let's talk about the transition between 1.0, which is now what it's become because we've got this rehash, into 2.0. So what are some of the basics around 2.0? What do we know so far? Because, of course, it hasn't been legislated. So we know um, very little. (laughs) What we think we know at the moment is that it will be on a quarterly basis. So the whole July to September quarter, you have to have a 30% downturn compared to July, September in 2019. Um, But we don't know if it will be based on a cash basis, so the money that hits your bank account, or if it will be on accrual, that's the invoices that you issue. We don't know yet. Uh, We don't know if we'll be allowed to choose or it will be forced on us that it's the same method that we report on our BAS. These things we don't know. Um, and so I guess it's really too early to know if you're going to be eligible for JobKeeper 2.0, one, that it's not legislated, and two, that the whole quarter is not finished yet. So it's going to be hard to know what your actual sales are for the whole July to September quarter when we're now only on the 1st of September. Do we know what the downturn figure is that you need to be, I don't want to say aiming for, but what, what is that downturn figure? Um, Well, this is a small business program. So for small businesses, it's 30% downturn of turnover um, and sales, but that doesn't count other JobKeeper stimulus or cash flow boost. That's not included in your turnover. So when you're calculating it, you don't add in those those amounts you were getting from the state government or from the federal government or other JobKeeper payments that you've already received? Correct. You specifically exclude those. Okay. So what? I always get confused by that. What do they mean by the GST turnover? It's such a, a weird figure that a small business owner is not really going to understand what that means. What is it? It's not BAS-excluded items. So you have to have a supply. You have to be giving something or selling something or a service and so the JobKeeper and the other stimulus is you're not doing anything, you're not supplying anything, and that's why they are excluded. Right. So you putting money into your account because you're um, trying to prop up those figures, for example, um, is not because um, it's BAS excluded because you're putting money in that. So your own funds, that does not oh, – that's why they have that word GST turnover in there because it's what you've got – yeah. But what if you don't charge GST? It's the, still the same principle. It's what you would report at G1 on your BAS. Oh. So normal sales type turnover. But that might also include the sale of an asset. So if you're selling your car to buy a new one, that would potentially be um, G1. So that would be reportable. And and um, that's what one of the details that we're waiting on. We're waiting on to hear that from, from the parliamentary decisions or the detailed people. We're waiting people. on a whole lot of stuff. Mm. Um, but those are general principles. That's the thing that you would normally report on your BAS, and so that would theoretically be included. 
Excellent. Okay. So I had 10 employees that were included in JobKeeper 1. Um, can I assume that all 10, if I am eligible for 2.0, are they all definitely going to get um, 2.0 JobKeeper as well? We would assume that um, without any details. Oh, that- Could we just stop everything? Because we haven't done our disclaimer. Oh. oh, wait, 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 wait. Everyone just stop. Can you all rewind to the beginning of the program and just listen to the disclaimer? Uh, This is generic info. We're just some friends having a little chat over the table here. You absolutely need to speak to your BAS or tax agent about this. Those are the only two people that can help you with JobKeeper. Anyone else that's assisting you is doing it illegally and you're an idiot if you let them help you. (laughs) Okay, fast forward back to where we were in the conversation. (laughs) Excellent. Uh, Okay, so um, I've got my 10 employees. They were fine for 1.0 and now we've got 2.0 and I am eligible once we figure out what the eligibility is by definition. Um, So I I think they're all going to get it? I would think so too. Um, There were two... Initially, the test was, were they employed on the 1st of March 2020? And as a casual, had they served 12 months with you of regular casual work? So had they started on or before the 1st of March 2019? That was the initial test. And then they just changed the date in JobKeeper 1.2 to the 1st of July. Were they employed on the 1st of July or had they served 12 months as a casual up until the 1st of July? And so recently we could add people that were employed up till the 1st of July under those similar conditions. Correct. Um, And the trap for young players on that one is the one-in, all-in rule. So if you had employees that suddenly became eligible because the test was changed to the 1st of July, you have to offer JobKeeper to them or you're falling foul of the rules because you have to offer it to all of your eligible employees. You can't choose which ones you want to pay it to and then not pay it to others. And that's a bit of a difficulty for cash flow because um, we've just been through August, which had three, uh, three um, uh, what do you call it, fortnights in it of $1,500 each, which you're going to be reimbursed for. Um, were those one July new employees, let's call them from 1.2 version JobKeeper, were they getting all of those fortnights? No. Um, in the fine print, they became eligible on the 3rd of August. The first fortnight ended on the 2nd of August. And then the second fortnight for August started on the 3rd. So those employees are only entitled to two fortnights. So today, maybe you're going in to make your lodgement in the next... 14 days you'll be making your lodgement for the month of August and so any employees that have already been in will get three fortnights so that's 4,500. Any employees that became eligible under version 1.2 they'll only get two fortnights so that'll be 3,000 for those employees. So this lodgement will be a little bit more confusing than the confusing ones that we've already been lodging. Yeah and, and don't don't be silly like some people and think that just because someone started being employed on the 1st of July you then have to back pay them July and August. Correct. All of them? No. No, you no. don't do that. Um, also, maybe we're chatting a little bit too late, but yesterday was the deadline to make sure that you met the minimum $1,500 for those two fortnights. Um, so if you haven't paid them $1,500 in each of those two fortnights, uh, it's a bit late now. Mm. And what, I mean, what are those, what are those, how important are those dates for those, for those JobKeeper payments? I mean, how strict, what have you heard? How strict are the ATO being when it comes to, well, hang on, you didn't pay them on time, therefore give us our money back? Is that I, happening? I haven't heard that it is happening, but my advice would be if you have made a bit of a whoopsie, call the tax office and explain it. Call them before they call you. The penalties for getting it wrong are fairly severe. It could be 175% of what you've gotten from them. 
Um, so if you've gotten $10,000, you'll have to pay 17500 back, mm. uh, which would cripple any small business that's already doing it tough. So definitely call them um, and explain what you've done and see what they say. They might ask you to pay it back. They might give you special consideration because you're attempting to do the right thing, but call them. Don't try and balls it out. Um, that could end in tears. If you've just joined us here on Small Biz Matters on Triple H 100.1 FM and across the community radio network and on podcasts, we are talking to Nicole Lynch, who is actually a bit of a superstar of the bookkeeping world. She's a finalist in the Women in Finance Awards for this year. Congratulations on that, by the way. Thank you. Uh, and we're talking all about JobKeeper 2.0, which is the reimagining, the, the continuation of the JobKeeper stimulus. And we're speaking all about the importance of understanding where all the dates fall. So the dates are quite important, as you mentioned a bit earlier. So it's it's important that you're paying people on time. But I mean, I think I don't, we don't want people to be kept up at night. And I don't think the ATO does either. Why is it so important to call the ATO before they call you? Um, I guess admitting that you've made a mistake and offering to pay back if you're not entitled is much better than being pinged for um, trying to cheat the system. That's absolutely not cool. The tax office considers it fraud. Um, you might consider it a whoopsie. They often don't look at it that way. So definitely call them. Get on the front foot. Don't wait till they hunt you down. Um, that's likely to end in tears. Yeah, indeed. And and like all good things, if you're talking to the ATO and you get given some piece of advice or some information, get a reference number and the name of the person you talk to and possibly the location and write that all down somewhere in your notes and timestamp it and stamp it. Oh, that was my very loud computer. Uh, so... Uh, Yes, that, that is all very important when it comes to um, keeping on top of things and making sure they're aware. Uh, so we haven't heard anything about them clawing back anything yet, but, you know, these things can take time. And what, what sort of record keeping should you be keeping as well for all of this? All of the records. All the records. You can't have too many. <laughs> um, so when you first enrolled, it said, um, do you meet the de- decline in turnover test? And it was simply a tick box of yes or no, but it also said you need to keep proof of this. So you need to have reports that show what last year's sales were and what this year's sales were to prove that you were eligible. You didn't upload it to the tax office. You didn't have to provide it. But when they come around for an audit, and it probably is more of a when than an if, they are doing audits already. We're hearing that amongst our peers. Um, you need to have the proof of why you thought you were eligible. Mm. And, and what does that, sorry, what sort of a report do you mean? What What is that report called? Well, that report is called whatever you like to call it. Um, I've made up some for my clients uh, in the software that we prefer. Um, so we generated a special report that has, um, say, for instance, April 2019 and April 2020 next to each other. And then we have a formula that gives the percent change. Hmm. And then we have the two Mays next to each other with the formula. And so we have that set up. And so it will clearly say um, 32%, 40%, 60% downturn. And so we've got that proof. We've got the report. We've saved it in the system. We've downloaded PDF copies. We've got all of that to prove that we were eligible. Excellent. Well done. And then there's also paperwork in relation to the relationship that you have with your employees, which is what it was. It was actually quite a simple form. It was almost stunning in its simplicity uh, and where you had to declare that employees were eligible because they were connected with your business, right? So as the business owner, you had to, if you thought you were eligible, you provided the form to your staff and then they filled it out to accept your nomination. Um, And they were welcome not to accept it. 
Some people might not have accepted it because um, it would have meant being paid more because the minimum was $1,500 and that might have affected their pension or something else. And so they were entitled to decline if they wanted to. Um, But the form itself was fairly simple. It asked for your name, your date of birth. I think it asked for your tax file number. There was a section if you were 16 or 17 years old. Um, A lot of older people accidentally filled that section out, maybe trying to reclaim lost youth. I don't know. I won't... (laughs) I'm not going to guess why they felt they should fill that section out. And then right down the bottom it just said, I accept this nomination or something to that effect, and they ticked the box and then they signed and provided it back to the employer and the employer needs to keep that on record as well, um, that the employee accepted the nomination. And you had to have that form before you went into the tax office and said, these are the employees that I'm declaring JobKeeper for. So I know this is a bit of a crystal ball question, but um, are we expecting more forms to be produced and expected to be filled out for 2.0, do you think? Um, I don't think there'll be any new ones for staff. I'm not sure. Maybe it'll be the same form again, just saying that you accept to continue. With with the actual date range in it? Yeah, but I'm imagining probably not. They'll just let you keep the same one. And I'm anticipating that you will still have to lodge your monthly reports. Maybe they'll change it to quarterly, but they'll probably want monthly because they're just collecting statistics here. We're going to take a quick break here on Small Biz Matters, listen to some community service announcements. When we come back, we're going to be speaking to Nicole Lynch from Streamline Management about uh, DIYers and why it's not a great idea to try and unpack this legislation yourself. You're listening to Triple H. We'll be back after this. So we're back in the room at the moment with Nicole Lynch and we're talking all about JobKeeper 2.0 without actually talking about it because it hasn't been legislated yet. So everything we're saying you have to take with a grain of salt and just have a like re reimagine it. But who do we talk to when we're trying to figure out what is actually happening for us and our specific business? Absolutely speak to your tax and your BAS agent. If you um, have staff, your BAS agent might already be helping you run the payroll and so they're well placed to help because they're already in there doing the wages and they they can make those changes or add the top-ups if it's needed mm-hmm. um, and tax agents can help as well um, and maybe the two combined depending if you've got really tricky circumstances, if you've bought another business um, then your tax agent might be able to help there and hop in but between the two of them um, I'd definitely say that's a great way to go. Spending a little bit of money may well mean that you are entitled to JobKeeper. If you've done the testing yourself, you may think, oh, I'm not eligible. But they might be able to find one of the alternate tests to prove that you are, or they might be able to put your mind at rest and say, you're absolutely not eligible. Don't waste any more time on this. Mm, And and really, it's because they've got a finger on the pulse of your business on a day-to-day basis. So this is actually a really great example of why you need good advisors that are qualified. Um, Make sure you check out if they're part of a professional association, for example, if you're trying to find the right one. Now's a good time to engage with someone. But the good news is if you've already been speaking to and, and had the support of a BAS agent up until now, um, they're there. They've got all this legislation in the back of their head. They know what's going on with your business um, and this is a great way to, to get help. Absolutely. And they have access to the associations that are feeding out the information and also um I think BAS agents are quite active within their own community. They're supporting their peers and so they've got that sounding board. Um, You know, if they're not quite sure what to do here, they can reach out to other BAS agents and they can discuss through and come to a a good conclusion, I think. Yeah, that's a a very good point, actually, because there's so many resources around this and so much going on. So, um, Nicole, where can people people find a good uh, BAS agent such as yourself? Tell us about uh, Streamline Management, where they can find us, find you. Um, well, we're based in Chatswood in the North Shore. 
Um, and we specifically like to work with professional services. We're a professional service, so that's something that we have some knowledge around. Um, but we also like to work with the trades and construction people. Um, they call a spade a spade and you can just get down to work. You don't have to muck around. So uh, they're really nice to work with as well. Awesome. Well, thanks very much for coming on today's program. It's been uh, knowledgeable and interesting to find out. It's almost a historical thing now, isn't it? Since March, we've had all this happen and it's great to unpack the history behind it. Um, but it's important for businesses to understand as best as we can at the moment what's going on. Um, and then we might check in with you a little bit later. We might get you to phone in once we've actually got uh, it legislated. and We can give better, uh, uh, more specific um, or actually accurate advice. For specific advice, you should be going to your own vast agent and bookkeeper. So thanks for coming on the program, Nicole. Thanks for having me. It's been great fun. Now, if you've missed any of today's program, you can, of course, catch up via podcast or iTunes or Spotify or wherever you ingest your small business education where there's over 170 podcasts just like this one in all facets of learning for small business. My name has been Alexi Boyd. I look forward to speaking with you uh, on another podcast and after the break.